GamesillaMedia.com. Noise Land Arcade. Welcome to Noiseland Arcade. I am Craig WK, and with me, as always, is my buddy, the Arcade Phantom Sean. Craig, how you doing today? Uh, doing quite well. Uh, pretty. I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk about this episode. It's one that I think objectively might not be one of the better of Season 3, but I've probably seen it almost as much as the other big heavy hitters of Season 3. I don't know why. I really, I kind of like this episode. I'm not excited to talk about this one because I feel like we're going to get very political and it's going to piss some people off who listen to us. That's probably true. So today we're talking about Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington. When did this episode uh, first air, Sean? This episode first aired September 26, 1991. So in this episode, uh, after Homer becomes infatuated with Reader's Digest magazine, he gets Lisa to try out a contest which has her writing about the virtues of America. When she finds that her beloved country is corrupt, though, she loses faith in democracy. Yeah, that's a little close to home. Uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, oh, we're starting off early. Uh, Let's go. So, get, get us into the news, Craig. Give, give me something that's not going to depress me because it's well, going to depress me. It's going to depress you. So, in the news, I uh, the Tuesday before this episode aired, Theodore Seuss Geisel, otherwise known as Doctor Seuss, has passed away in his uh, home in I believe it was Arizona. I uh, he of course. Dr. Seuss, I'm sure, needs no introduction. He's, you know, written tons of children's books, uh, the creator of The Cat in the Hat. Uh, You know, he uh, made his first uh, children's book uh, in, it was first published in 1937, and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street. Uh, He was actually under contract from, uh, from a company called Flit, which was a bug repellent brand. In the contract, uh, you know, he couldn't do work for a lot of other people, but there was a loophole, and that was children's books. And so, uh, I don't know about you, Sean, uh, but I, as a child, was read Dr. Seuss books almost more than any other. Same here, actually. And I think it's kind of funny that this news ties into this episode, because Dr. Seuss is very well known for his political cartoons during World War II. He, Yeah, he was indeed. In World War II, he created not only... Uh, 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 you know, cartoons for the newspaper, he created a uh, private snafu uh, with uh, uh, Warner Brothers, I believe. And, you know, it was a series of cartoons, you know, uh, talking about like, you know, how soldiers should behave. It was sort of like a goofus and gallant kind of thing. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, his final book was that was published before his death was Oh, the Places You'll Go. His proudest book was The Lorax, uh, which was, uh, uh, you know, about uh, like, uh, conservation, you know, nature and stuff. And he won a Pulitzer Prize for his contributions to children's literature in 1984, the same year that my favorite Dr. Seuss book came out, The Butter Battle Book, which was based on the Cold War. My God, do I love The Butter Battle Book. That is such a good book. It is a phenomenal. It hit the, uh, uh, you know, uh, bestsellers list for adults. Yeah. You know, it was uh, a lot of people criticized Seuss. You know, because they felt like he was being like, because, you know, let's face it, the Cold War is raging at this point. They think that, you know, he's being way too flippant with this kind of stuff. But when you look back and read it, it's basically Seuss saying, like, this is stupid. Like, this is dumb. What are you guys doing? The arms race is stupid and dumb and everyone's going to die if you keep it up. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, basically. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, Seuss is probably one of my biggest inspirations for when it comes to my imagination and creativity. Uh, my homebrew Dungeons & Dragons world is called the World of Geisel, in reference to Dr. Seuss's real name. Uh, but, I, Sean, what, what do you have for news for us? So I let you go first because I like the depressing news to go second. Uh-huh. Yeah, you usually do. And a certain cartoon started to air on September 30th, just a few days after this episode. Yeah? So i got a question for you, Craig. Uh-huh. If there was a gentleman out there, mm-hmm. and no one could stop him, do you know who would always try? Who? Scum. Because on September 30th, James Bond Jr.'s first episode aired. <laughs> why? Why did I bring this up, or Why? Both? It's such a bad cartoon. So for those that don't know, James Bond Jr. is a cartoon. Not about James Bond's child. 
about his nephew who takes on the family name and becomes James Bond Jr. I would argue that it probably is James Bond's child, but he doesn't want to raise it, so he just says that it's his nephew. What, it's this little bastard from one of his little love affairs? I mean, he had enough, right? That would make sense. He had to have, le- have, to have left a few children along the way, right? Like, there's no way he didn't. James Bond Jr., I just brought it up because I knew it would get a reaction out of you, and I wanted to bring it up. I really, really love James Bond movies so much, and uh, James Bond Jr. is a travesty. I thought it was a travesty when I was a kid and I hadn't seen James Bond yet. It was not a good cartoon. It was really bad. But, I mean, it had all the classic Bond villains in it. It had, like, odd job and, like... like Hip-hop outfit. Yeah, parachute <laughs> pants and stuff. It was so he had, stupid. He had, like, a homie clock. Oh, my God, it was so bad. It was so bad. It was it was a product of the 90s. Wasn't Dr. No just basically Fu Manchu meets the Mandarin in that? I think so. It was really bad. There was no real adventures of Johnny Quest. That's for damn sure. That is so true, because that was so, show was solid. Uh, so, anyway, let's let's get into the episode. You don't want to talk about James Bond Jr.? What about IQ? No, it's not Q, it's IQ, because he's smart. Get it? Get it? I would rather die than spend another moment talking about James Bond Jr. So, Homer, at the start of this episode, is going through junk mail. And, you know, it's like, you may have already won. Win this. He, like, throws it in the trash. I miss good junk mail. I miss when <laughs> Is there you... ever such a thing as good junk mail? There's always good junk mail. Eh. Eh. But I could have won millions of dollars. I th- they could send me a check, Greg. Well, it's funny you say that because Homer gets a check. It says, you may have already won. Uh, I think it's like, you know, uh, enter our sweepstakes to win. And inside the check or inside the envelope, he sees that there is a check for a million dollars. And he loses his mind and runs to the bank. And he talks to the guy and he's like, he's like, Mr. Simpson, this is clearly not a real check. He's like, what makes you so sure? And he's like, well, this part here, this is void. This part here is, it says like, you know, Mr. Banker, do not honor. This is not a check. This is not a check. And Homer's like, shut up. Cash value, 130 <laughs> Yeah. So he gets home, and I love Lisa's kind of throwaway line off to the side where she's like, I don't think real checks have exclamation points. <laughs> and Marge lets Homer know that even if they didn't win, well, they got a, a free issue of Reader's Digest. Reading Digest. It's actually a parody of Reader's Digest because they could not get the rights to Reader's Digest. Ah, Reading Digest, which is it's very clearly Reader's Digest. And so Reading Digest... Uh, which you know, well, actually, Reader's Digest, which Reading Digest is based on, first began in 1922, and I honestly have a lot of fond memories of Reader's Digest. I do too, actually. My grandparents had a subscription, and anytime I went out to my grandparents' house out in the country, if my batteries were running low on the Game Boy, or if I was looking to do something else, I'd grab a Reader's Digest and look at the comics, read the jokes, the quotable notables. Do you know why your grandparents had a subscription? Because everybody did. Yes. Reader's Digest used to hold the distinction for being the number one magazine in the world. I heard that it was, even in like people of like, you know, who make over $100,000 a year, it was still more subscriptions in that bracket than like, you know, Forbes, uh, you know, like, like, you know, whatever other like millionaire magazines, all these other magazines still could not touch Reader's Digest. It was insane. Everybody had Reader's Digest. I'm sure that as we're talking, like, unless our listeners are quite young, and let's face it, newsprint is kind of going, you know, going uh, the way of the dodo. But like anyone who's in their mid twenties and older, I'm sure remember Reader's Digest. Even the younger kids know what Reader's Digest is because it's that thing you pick up for five seconds when you're waiting in line at the grocery store. Well, then you true. never buy because you don't buy those magazines. You just read them for five <laughs> seconds and then you get through your checkout. Yeah, basically, unless you go to Uscan. That's why I shop at grocery stores in the middle of the night, so I don't have to deal with that crap. I just go to you, scan and I'm done. Yeah, that's usually it's what great. I do. So, uh, so, you know, Homer is like, you know, like, it's like, oh, I've not read a magazine in my life. I'm not going to start now. And Marge slides it over, and, and Homer looks at the comic, and it's like, well, honey, you always wanted a compact. And Homer's like, ain't it the truth? 
And Marge is like, Homer, it's actually well documented that, you know, like women are safer drivers than men. And Homer's like, oh, don't worry. Like, you know, oh, Marge, it's just cartoons. They're just there for a cheap laugh. And he stands up and you see his butt crack and the Barton Lisa chuckle. <laughs> no, I will say the, the, the cartoons are just a cheap laugh. It's a kind of a fun meta joke. Yeah, but it's it's one of those sitcom jokes. Is it though? It feels like a sitcom joke. I like, don't know. This would be like we're on a show. Ha uh-huh, ha! Let's all look to the camera. I mean, it's. I feel like it's better than that. I don't know. I feel like it is kind of like the Brady Bunch looking to the camera, like we're on a show. Wah, wah, I mean, wah. if Homer if Homer gave a wink and a nod to the camera, yeah, I'll grant you that. But it is just him standing up, and you see his butt crack. That isn't quite the same. No, don't be wrong. I'll, Just because the Bradys didn't have the ball to show their ass, because I didn't get to see the Bradys' ass. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Doesn't mean they didn't think of it. All right. So, you know, the it we flash forward to Homer at work, and he's still reading, reading Digest, and I, uh, you know, Lenny's like, "Hey, Homer," he's like, "Come on, it's lunchtime," and Homer's fascinated with his magazine. He's reading something about Bermuda, and he's like, ah, you just go ahead. And Lenny's like, you're going to skip lunch? And Homer says uh, something around the lines of, uh, like, I'll keep my like I'll keep my learning, and you can keep your black bread or something like that. And he attributes the quote, uh, quote to uh, Tolstoy, Leo, to- uh, Leo Tos- Tolstoy, who didn't say this. <laughs> it's not a quote from him. I couldn't find that that was a quote from anybody. Huh. Yeah. Weird, right? A little weird. Because normally the Simpsons are good about actual historical stuff. You know, they do the research for Mr. Burns, all of his old stuff. They couldn't get an actual quote from somebody, like, talking about how knowledge is better than, like, eating and stuff or anything else. Yeah, they probably had to go to the library back then. I guess, but, I mean, you know, I, I just feel like that is a, is a moment they could have done better. And it's funny because uh, Mr. Burns is watching them him on camera, and you know he's like, "Funny, the record shows that he should be an illiterate." <laughs> Cuts to the Simpsons' house, and Bart, uh, Lisa, and Maggie are all glued to the TV, and they're watching uh, Troy McClure and Del- uh, Dolores Montenegro in "Preacher with a Shovel." Uh, now. Did you catch the? Because uh, that—that's those are names we'll hear again. Yeah, we will. So Dolores Montenegro is also with Troy McClure in a, a uh, movie called Calling All Quakers. Oh, qual- calling all Quakers, which is funny because it does fit with the preacher with a shovel vibe. Calling all Quakers are are. I mean, obviously, the first thought nowadays is the you know, uh, you know, the cereal company, uh, oatmeal company. But Quakers were a religious group. So Preacher with a Shovel uh, about, you know, a preacher trying to bring irrigation somewhere and calling all Quakers, it seems like that's a movie series. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I mm-hmm. don't, I'm not up on my Quaker history. Uh-huh. But isn't part of the reason the Quakers eventually stopped being a religion is because they didn't allow sex in their religion? <laughs> And they brought in outside people to join their religion. Isn't that the reason it died out? Um, I, I mean, they, they did believe in, uh, uh, you know. Sanctity and all. Yeah, you know, a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, you know, that, that could be possible. I've not done enough research, I suppose, on the Quakers to know if that is the case. Uh, but that's sort of an interesting thought. Uh, that might be. That, that's certainly possible. I don't know for sure, though. Uh, so shout out to anyone who knows religious history. Let us know what happened to the Quakers. What's going on with them? Did they get sort of just absorbed into other religions? Did they just vanish? Or are they still out there plotting and waiting for the time to strike? Lousy Quakers. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, don't don't discourage our Quaker listeners from uh, you know subscribing to Noiseland Arcade. Listen, I can't discourage our Quakers because God, do I love oats. I, I do like oatmeal. Like plain oatmeal is just one of the best foods ever. You don't you don't add brown sugar to yours? Not very often. No, sometimes I just put a little bit of milk in there. 
disgust me. You it a little bit. You disgust me. God, I hate your breakfast habits so goddamn much. A little bit of milk? Something sweet about a drop of milk, Sean. You know what's sweet? Brown sugar. And sugar. And syrup. Yeah, you know what's sweet? Not having cavities. And healthy living. Well, Sean, enjoy those extra five miserable years you'll have after I die. I will. I will dance on your grave and eat bran flakes. Joke's on you. I'm going to murder you before then. We'll see who laughs last. <clears throat> so Homer's mad, though, that the kids are glued to the TV. And he's like, you know, God forbid they do some reading. Which is funny because... When Homer is out of character, this is how it should be done. Him being hypocritical in sort of a funny kind of way where it's like, you know, clearly Homer does nothing but watch TV all the time. He's just been infatuated with this book, and that's why he's sort of like thinking like he's so much holier than thou. Yeah, this is the perfect way to do it. Not selling their TV because the Simpsons family is a crazy family. Ooh, wacky. And so Homer's reading the book and he's or the this uh, article because he tells the family he's going to read you know them a story and he's like and then I heard the sound that all Arctic explorers fear the pitiless bark of the sea lion and Homer's like he'll be killed and Marge is like Homer he obviously lived if he came, like you know he like wrote the story and he's like don't be so sure my oh you're right. <laughs> uh, apparently reading digest is going to help them in bed. Reading Digest does help them in bed. Homer says that, uh, Marge, you look beautiful, and if you want to ever want to see me in some form of costume, you need only ask. And Marge is like, uh, okay, Homer. And uh, Marge even gets a recipe for meatloaf men. Marge does want to see him in costume. That is that is one of her fetishes we will learn throughout the series. The Mr. Plow outfit. She likes the Mr. Plow outfit. When he joins the Navy, she likes his naval uniform. Uh, Ah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Is that a fan fiction episode? It's like right at the cusp. It's mm. right at the cusp. That's <laughs> right there. So what one of our f- friends' favorite episodes is that episode, so I can't oh, yeah. ban off it. Vinny, yeah, that's right. It is his favorite. I mean I can I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a funny episode, but it is, I think, fan fiction. Yeah. So it never technically happened. But that is one of Marge's fetishes. <laughs> it is. I uh, so you know, the, the Homer's super excited. This, you know, free magazine has brought them all this great stuff. And he sees that there's a contest that, he, the, you know, they can win like $10,000 or something. Uh, is that the amount of money? Yeah, it's $10,000. $10,000. And it's like a trip to Washington, D.C. And Homer's like, oh, it's for kids. He like throws the magazine into the trash and immediately loses interest. It's back up to that recipe she got for meatloaf men. Yeah. I want meatloaf men. They do sound pretty good, but a lot of work. I love meatloaf, so... I do like meatloaf, for sure. I mean, they'd be all end piece at that point, right? Oh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, that sounds so good. I I would I would eat meatloaf, man. Uh, I, it's also funny that uh, Bart tells us later that meatloaf is his least favorite loaf, but, you know, in here he, he bites off the head of one and he's pretty excited about it. And so, you know, Homer throws the reading digest in the trash... And immediately loses interest when he realizes he can't do the contest. But, you know, Lisa says, well, wait. You know, she grabs it out of the trash and she's like, you know, fiercely, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mentions that the uh, it's an essay contest and that it has to be fiercely pro-American. I mean, it's funny because reading Reader's Digest, the real magazine, is very fiercely American. Yes. There's a section for humor in uniform, which is just jokes about the military. There's usually like patriotic war stories or stories about like what happens to like soldiers who've come back home. Uh, you know, it's it, there's a ton of that kind of stuff. And so it's funny that this is, you know, what they've got going on. It's a contest. And, you know, Marge is like, Bart, is this something you might like to try too? And Bart's like, Mom, he's like, We all know Lisa's the pony to bet on for this one. And, you know, Lisa goes to her room and she tries to think of something and she cannot think of a good opening. She is not inspired. And we also see the end apartheid now poster on the back uh, of uh, Lisa's door. So it's kind of weird that Bart isn't interested in this because this is the one subject of school that he actually knows. We learned from Bart gets an F that he knows American history. 
he knows enough to get like a D. Is that really that being that interested though? I mean, he knows enough to barely pass, or earned, or rather, he failed and then got a bonus point. He earned extra credit by knowing his history. That's true. I mean, I, I'm I'm a little iffy on that one. Plus, John Hancock was writing his name in the snow. <laughs> oh, John Hancock is writing his name in the snow. Uh, so you know. Marge comes in and she's like, well, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, and I needed to be inspired or, or clear my head, I'd go on a bike ride. And she's like, do, do kids still go on bike rides? And Lisa's like, yeah, mom. And she's like, well, I didn't know if that was cool or not. Do kids still say cool? And Lisa's like, yeah, mom. I, And so that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of weird, right? It, it's a super weird joke because it just... It really makes Marge very out of touch, but she kind of always is. She kind of is, but it's also kind of padding to this episode, I feel. A little bit, but it's I, I feel like the, the gag is decent enough. It's not that bad. And so Lisa goes to the Springfield National Park, which comes up later in the episode. A bald eagle lands on a tree. It's carrying like the olive branch and like the arrow or whatever, spear, whatever it's supposed to be holding. Golden arrows. It's a lucky moment for Lisa. It is indeed. And uh, for those who uh, might not live in the U.S., uh, the bald eagle is the America's national bird. Uh, I presume most people even across the world know that, but we're trying to point out all the references, I guess. And so Lisa has been inspired. And so it cuts to them going to the essentially a VFW hall. Uh, but it's called the Veterans of Popular Wars. So the VPW. So here's a question then uh, for you, Sean. Do you think it's basically everything but the? Is it just basically uh, Desert Storm and is it uh, World War II? Cut out Korean and Vietnam. Oh God, it probably is when you put it that way. That, that's really dark to think about, but. right? I mean, like, because let's face it, Vietnam was not a popular war, and a lot of people forget that the Korean War happened. Yeah, they do. They really do. My grandpa was in the Korean War. He, uh, I think, he trained uh, other soldiers uh, by the time the Korean War was starting. So he never saw combat. Luckily, good lord, uh, because that was pretty brutal. What happened to some of our men? Like I think it was like some Korean winners that were really bad. Yeah, uh, I I actually um, had a customer who was a Korean War veteran, mm-hmm. and he would talk about how it is the coldest period he can ever remember his in his entire life. Oh yeah, he has it was never brutal. hated winter because of it. Because winter has never been as bad as what he had to deal with when he was over in Korea. Yeah, I heard it was. Well, they were in like the mountains and stuff too. You know, I mean, like, good lord, what 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 they had to go through in the Korean War was was ridiculous. And it is sad that like all it was really about was trying to stifle the spread of communism. Which you know, South Korea is cool. We, you know, I'm happy that we were able to help out our our future buddies. You know, because we came became friends with South Korea after helping them. Uh, we might have been allies with South Korea beforehand, but I don't really think we were that close. You know, and then otherwise uh, you had, uh, uh, you know, the Vietnam War, which, let's face it, that was not a very popular war. Like at all. And uh, so they, they head inside and I... Uh, oh, and I also love the fact that Homer and you know Lisa's like, "Thanks for driving me to the contest, Dad." And he's like, "Sweetheart, there's nothing I wouldn't do for that magazine." <laughs> Nelson is already in the midst of doing his speech, and he's like, "You know, burn the flag if you must, but if you do, you better burn some other things. You better burn your shirt and burn your house down." And Homer's like, "Hell yeah!" And he's all excited and stuff. We also see that Jasper is a veteran. So, or at least he's dressed in military outfit and he's at the Veterans of Popular Wars Hall. Let's talk about flag burning for a second. Oh, sure. Which is something I never thought I would say on this show. All right. So flag burning comes up a lot in The Simpsons and also in Futurama it gets referenced. Oh, yeah, you're right. It does. It happens a few times. They have total opposite viewpoints on the two shows. You're right. Simpsons is very against flag burning, and Futurama is very much that it is a freedom of expression act, that you should respect that even though you don't agree with it. You should appreciate Mm -hmm. that you have that freedom. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see the two shows change on that dynamic when they're both essentially a lot of the same creative crew. 
That is, yeah, that is interesting. I never really uh, stopped to consider that. The, uh, I mean, because in, in clearly in this episode, you know, they're they're showing you know like Nelson bad mouthing people who burn the flag and how they you know they they should burn all the rest of their stuff because you know which let's face it that's way too extreme whether you agree with burning flags or not. And I mean the bill on the Capitol Hill makes it wants to make it legal for policemen to beat people who burn flags later on. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then of course we see in the uh, Lisa's wedding episode uh, they accidentally burn the British flag. So they have two very different viewpoints because in Futurama. They have a lawyer who is a veteran of many wars. Old Man Waterfall. Old Man Waterfall, that's it. People call him Old Man. I'll never remember that. And he's very pro disgracing the flag because he fought for that freedom to be able to do that. Uh Uh-huh. So I think it's just kind of interesting to talk about that. And I never thought I would talk about that on the show, but I had to stop and think about it. You're absolutely correct. That that is uh, a, a pretty interesting approach. The fact that they sort of changed their perspective, uh, or maybe just had a certain writer or something change, you know, here and there. And I kind of lean towards old man's viewpoint, where I don't appreciate you burning the flag, but I respect the fact that you can do it. I think that's mm-hmm. great. I love that you have that freedom in America. Yeah, well, I've actually places. gotten into a fight with somebody on Facebook because of that once, and it was pretty <laughs> funny because I was just kind of a sarcastic douche who kept posting scenes from that Futurama episode to piss him off. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, uh, Lisa gives her speech and everyone kind of tears up and, you know, it's it's very well done. And as the, the scene is transitioning, we see them walk by this, like, father and his uh, son and he's like, We the Purple? What the hell was that? His delivery for We the Purple is so good. We the Purple? What the hell was that? And I still, to this day, always say We the Purple. We the Purple. <laughs> I, I always do. It's engraved in my Simpsons fan head. And so... You know, the, the, the lady who's kind of running this, you know, judging panel, you know, like talks to Jasper and Jasper's like, oh, really good. And she's like, yeah, a little too good. Me thinks she has some help from daddy. And so she goes up and tries to grill Homer because she wants to see that, you know, he helped out. And she's like, uh, you this know, is my favorite scene in the entire Are you episode. a writer? And he's like, oh, mm. and she's like, um, do you have any opinions on politics? Oh, it's like, hmm. Can you touch your nose? And he swipes around in the air, which makes me think, Sean, this is my big question to you. Has Homer been drinking? Probably. That's what I think. I think it's freaking hilarious. I love that Homer is either intoxicated or just really freaking stupid. One or the other. And so after she talks to Homer, she decides to award Lisa bonus points, basically pity points that Homer is her dad. Homer says, who would have guessed reading and writing would pay off? Not me. (laughs) So we cut to them heading to Washington, D.C. And, you know, there's early in The Simpsons, there's not as many episodes where they do traveling. So this is kind of interesting. And there's something that we notice. Yeah, what's that? It's on the plane. It's Homer. In between them is Maggie. And, in between, and on her and Maggie's other side is Marge, right? You know, the family's going to Washington, yeah. D.C. Marge looks very relaxed. Oh, that that seems weird. Right? Uh, almost like Marge uh, has Doesn't, a fear of flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like she doesn't have a fear of flying here. Uh, that or she's been heavily drugged. Or what could potentially happen is at the end of the scene, we see that there's a scare and... That could feasibly have led to her being afraid of flying. No, because she relates her fear of flying back to her childhood. You're right. Because she has all those moments where she's in a little toy, like, airplane, (laughs) and it lights on fire. Her dad was a stewardess. Her and her mom were shot at as they were running through a... a, Because they were north by northwest for some reason. (laughs) So... Uh, so Homer is like demanding from the the you know the flight attendant that you know he he needs you know all this stuff that's coming to him like you know pillows and blankets and you know all this stuff, and Bart is messing with this guy who sits like behind him moving the chair around. So Homer asking for all that free shit. Uh huh. It's one of those moments that I just I watch it. Uh huh. And I just put my hand on my head mm-hmm. because I think to myself that is every fucking moment with my dad going anywhere <laughs> if there's free shit it doesn't matter 
He's got money. He doesn't care. It's free. He's going to take it because it's, it's free. He should be getting it. He's the kind of guy who will go to the dentist and always get a free toothbrush. Hmm. Even though they're crappier? Yeah, because it's free. Well, I mean, it's, it's owed to him because he paid for the dental visit. So You don't get rich by uh, spending money. Yeah, that, that scene. That scene. <laughs> this reminds me of It's per- personal great. for the me on that one. Oh, that's great. So, uh, you know, Bart gets brought to the pilot, you know, pilot's chamber or whatever. And, you know, he's bored out of his mind. He's like, and uh, this, you know, is much like the, the handlebars of your tricycle and like patronizing Bart. And he's like, would you like to see, you know, where we keep our coats? And Bart's like, no, I'd rather press this button. And he just presses a random <laughs> button, not knowing what could happen. And the guy, I love the guy's delivery when uh, Bart's like, I'd rather push this button. He goes, no. And it brings all the oxygen uh, down. And Homer's like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. And everyone starts screaming as they start landing in, uh, is it pronounced du- uh, Dulez? Dulez Airport? International Airport? I believe it's Dulez. Dulez, uh, so, which is the airport outside of uh, Washington, D.C. So I wanted to bring up the whole Bart in the cockpit scene. Because uh-huh. for our younger viewers... This was actually something that would happen on a lot of flights. Children were taken to the cockpit so they could see how it works. Yeah. That does not happen nowadays. We are in a post 9 11 world. Yep. You try, is, if you try uh, to go for that cockpit, you're going to be restrained. Yeah, you are, whether you're a kid or not. <laughs> they don't want you messing with that stuff. I mean, and let's face it, when you think about it, yeah, that's probably not great. Like having a kid that could just slap the control panel and potentially murder everybody. It's a lot of, uh, I mean, I've never, you know, flown a plane, but I presume that a lot of that stuff is pretty, you know, you want to be careful. You, you know, they, they don't have just anybody flying planes. And you've got two of them to make sure that there's, you know, always someone there is backup. I went into the cockpit once as a child. Really? Yep. Got those little wingtip pin and everything. Oh, how was it? Yeah, it was kind of boring. Well, then you would have done the same thing, I'm sure. I was interested in like, oh, look at all these buttons. I kind of want to press them. <laughs> Including this one? No. So the Simpsons land and, you know, Homer's like, hey, that guy has our, the same last name as us. It's, there's a limo <laughs> driver with the name Simpson. And Homer's like, taxi, jumps into a taxi and pays out the fare. They drive by the IRS building, which Homer uh, yells, boo. And a guy leans out the window. He's like, oh, boo, yourself. And then they end up at the Watergate Hotel. Of course, for those who aren't familiar, Watergate Hotel is where, you know, Nixon's men were caught, you know, wiretapping uh, their, what was it, uh, uh, like opposing party, the opposing party's members or whatever. So it was the opposing party's members and Nixon had broken into the the Democratic National Convention's uh, leader's office. That's right. And so, you know, they're at Watergate Hotel, and uh, uh, I love that Bart does the every elevator button trick. So let's talk about the every elevator button trick for a second. Uh Have you ever done that? I and uh, uh, Sean, you'll know that uh, my good buddy Andy, who I grew up with, uh, there was, I believe it was a birthday party for him, and it was being held at a hotel. His parents, like, threw it at a hotel, and it was like, you know... Uh, like, because there's a pool and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, hotel kids can parties spend the were night. a thing in, like, the 90s. Yeah. I went to one. I, I think that was one of the few that I went to. And so what happened, though, is Andy and I broke off from the rest of the group for a while, and we were just wandering around the hotel. We're just going to random floors, going around, like, playing with ice machines, just doing all this stupid kid stuff, exploring. And it, we got it into our heads, because I'm sure of this episode, where we were going to do that. And sure enough, what we would do is we would hop into the elevator we'd wait until someone jumped on we'd wait until like we were just about to like the doors were starting to close we'd slap the panel hit all the buttons and dive out and everyone was like hey what the and it was like and it would close and have to go to every floor going up i almost always when i get off the elevator hit all the buttons because i'm a jerk still to this day and i get a sick joy out of it the only elevator i've ever been in where i took exception to that rule Mm -hmm was when my girlfriend was in the hospital. I never did that on the hospital elevators. Good call. You'd kind of be a giant piece of crap if you had done that in the hospital. <laughs> That's a bit much. But hotels do it all the time, still to this day. I'm just like, oh, got to do it. Boom, leaving the ho- Boom. I will say, uh, nowadays, you find that it's less... Uh, it's a little harder to do, especially in secured buildings. I had a job where you had a pass, and you did one floor, 
per your pass swipe or whatever. Yeah. You know, and so like, you know, if you have that, you can't really do that gag, you know. I uh, but I, you know, so so Bart's playing around and you know, I I felt it was weird that and I I get that they're trying to depict the Simpsons as a little bit of rubes, but like man, Marge and Homer are super excited about bathrobes and soap and shampoo and like all the little tiny things that a hotel gives for free. So this is something Homer also will later on be super excited about. Because yep. when, he, when he goes to the hotel in Capital City with Mindy, he's excited about all the free stuff that's there. Free pillows, free towels, free shower curtain. He also will be excited about that in uh, The Boy Who Knew Too Much when he's on jury duty. Yep. And he decides that uh, he's taking everything out of the hotel room because it's owed to him. Because it's all free. They'd bolt it down if they didn't want him to take it. And so you have... Uh, Bart and Lisa are arguing about what bed they they you know they're gonna get. So there's all these like weird little hotel jokes uh, thrown in this episode, and uh, uh, Homer sleeps on a welcoming mat. And it what is it three o'clock in the morning? I think you have Bart and Lisa who so, are for some reason awake. Call Homer and pretend to be the uh, the wake up line, which I don't know if they still do or not, but they still do that. They still, they do, still that. do wake up calls. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you need a wake-up call, hotels will do that for you, apparently. Maybe not motels, but at least hotels will. Oh, I'm sure motels will do it. I'm sure they'll do it, because... Maybe. I, I don't know, I spent my time traveling. Yeah, I... Fair enough. You would know more than I would, I suppose. I only stay in the fanciest they, of hotels. They always have somebody at the welcome desk, so I'm sure they have it set up there. That's probably true. So... Uh, you know, they, they get to the this event uh, where they're going to have this tour, and they meet Faith Crowley, who works at Reading Digest. And uh, Homer says, you know, I love your magazine. That uh, section, How to Increase Your Word Power, is really, 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 really good. And she's like, well, good. And... Hope, you know, hope, and, and she's like, so here are your VIP passes. This lets you into places you wouldn't normally go. And Homer's like, what does the V stand for? She's like, very. And the P? Uh, uh, person. Uh-huh. And, important. Oh. Man, what does the V stand for again? <laughs> and she's like, oh, son of, you know. And so they, uh, you know, are going around the, the, the tour. And it, you see in the front of the building, which is sort of... It, it leads to this being a strangely political episode for The Simpsons because The Simpsons will almost always make fun of politics and stuff like that in general. And all the people outside in the front of the White House have like everything A-OK signs. And they all look happy. So there's this theory mm-hmm. that pre-9-11, yeah. post-Cold War, USA was like the best time ever. The mid-90s was this peaceful time where nothing was going wrong. And you kind of see that when you look back as a, like a, a film critic who likes older films. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the worst thing that a main character could deal with is being a middle-aged white male with a nice job in suburbia. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really rough. I, I mean, that was the plot for a lot of movies. Like, right at that cusp, like Fight Club, um... Oh, God, what's the Kevin Spacey one? I can't think of the name. Oh. American Beauty. Oh, American Beauty. Yeah, that's like the the plot for some of those films is that Mm -hmm. being this white male in suburbia, it's just, it's boring. Nothing's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, I mean, clearly it wasn't, like, some golden age where everything was perfect, clearly. But, I mean, you know... We, as far as the world events go, like we dealt with the Middle East, we weren't dealing with that anymore, and so yeah, it was a stretch of time where America wasn't at war. Uh, we didn't have uh, like war-like tensions with like USSR. Now, mind you, the USSR hasn't completely collapsed yet, but at this point, it's clearing up, and so yeah, it's it's you're right, it is. It's really interesting to think that like that is just what was going on it was yeah. just it was sort of a-okay everything is a-okay indeed uh, and it will stay that way forever people will never protest anything bad happening because nothing bad's ever gonna happen to us life will be perfectly fine and peaceful up until now 
No, everything's fine. Everything's <laughs> A-OK. Nothing's <sighs> wrong. Nothing's wrong. We're... <sighs> so they go into the bowling alley that's in the basement of the White House, which really exists. There is a bowling alley down there. And uh, apparently Nixon uh, bowled back-to-back 300 games, which Homer does not buy because he really dislikes uh, Nixon. Okay, so Mm -hmm. I said we were going to get real political in this episode, and I'm going to pull it out right here. By all means. So Nixon cheated his bowling score there. Uh Uh-huh. So there are numerous reports that our current president, President Trump, cheats Uh his golf scores. I'm not surprised. Which, I'm not surprised. (laughs) I think it's kind of funny that they make a joke about Nixon, and it's very similar here. Yeah, I can see the parallels. Also, certainly see the parallels. Why the fuck would you cheat golf? Like, really? I I mean, some people care about golf, I guess. I kind of don't. I mean, I I appreciate it if you like it, but like, you know. But but like, to cheat about your score? What is is that? That's like your E-peen. Basically, it's like gamer scores. I have a 10,000 gamer score. 10 million. Everyone online loves me. Yeah, it's basically pretty close to that. Uh, I really appreciate, though, that as the episode continues and they're continuing this tour, you have them going into the uh, one of the bathrooms in the White House, and they move the shower curtain, and they find Barbara Bush in the bathtub, and they're like, Barbara Bush! And she's like, oh, you have those damn badges it's like well this bathtub was was installed in 1890 and like you know it's just her go continue with the tour because they have the badges i love that they go to the uh uh what would it be like the 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 u.s mint yeah the u.s mint that's where they go and homer's drooling over the money and i love the sarcastic guy voice who's uh gets drooled on he's like hey watch it chief and the, the guy running the tour is like, no, we don't give free samples. And everyone laughs, and Homer's like, lousy, cheap country. Also, they go to the uh, uh, a museum, uh, aeronomics. Uh, the Aerospace Museum? Yeah, Aerospace Museum. And Bart's in the spirit of St. Louis, like going, making sound effects and stuff. Homer screams up. He's like, Bart, get out of the spirit of St. Louis. Which was a plane flown by Charles Lindbergh on May 20th through the 21st of 1927 on the very first solo nonstop transatlantic flight from Long Island, New York to Paris, France. And they make reference to Lindbergh a few times uh, throughout the series. Yeah, we'll see Charles Lindbergh's flight in the episode with Bobo. Yeah, we do. That's right. Uh, And also when they go to the Washington Monument... Uh, we don't hear what Marge says. She just giggles, whispers to Homer, and, Mar- and Homer goes, oh, Marge, grow up. It's a penis joke, kids. It's, that's the it's gag. It's a penis joke. That's the gag. The Washington Monument looks like a penis. That's the gag. I will say that it's at least funny coming from Marge, who whispers it, who doesn't want to say it out loud. I do like that. That's, I there's do a like certain that charm to that, that, Homer. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a definite charm to that. And so we find next up is Bob Arnold who is the senator for the state that Springfield is in, potentially Michigan, uh, you know, he's talking with this guy who wants to do some logging in the Springfield National Forest. And, you know, I love the picture he shows where it's like, oh, it's just filled with old growth, and it shows this, like, deer being crushed by, like, a rotting tree. And then they're like, and we just want our loggers to come in, cut it down, and uh, clean things up. And it shows all these, like, animals with, like, hearts everywhere and them having tea parties on tree stumps. You know what that reminds me of? What's that? And I'm going to play my Animoit May fanboy card here. Oh? Going to go full weeb for a minute. That's our word, and you can use it because you are one. <laughs> so, Dragon Ball Z. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, going back to some of those movies. The movies are not great. I love the series. I love the manga. Oh, sure. Some of the movies are a little iffy. Tree of Might. <laughs> That's what it reminds you of. One that I have this great affinity for. The forest burns down, and the animals are sad, so they're going to wish the forest back. (laughs) I I think of that every time I see this now as an adult. Now I'm going to have to think of that moving forward. I'm sorry that I've ruined the scene for you, and you think of Tree of Might. Yeah, you better Tullus is coming out, and you're going to fight him. (laughs) Evil Goku. Uh, Anyway. For anyone who has no idea about anime, we just alienated a ton of fans. They were just like, what? Anime? 
Although we talk about Gundam more frequently than we probably should on this show, so never because mind. Because I want a giant robot. Everybody wants a giant robot. It's proven scientific fact. Uh, but so, you know, Bob Arnold's like, listen, you can't just cut down a forest. You know, people are going to notice that that thing's gone. And, you know, he says, it's not like burying toxic waste. And he's like, you know, this guy's like, ah, oh, you know, I never know how to say this next part. And he's like, you want to offer me a bribe? And he does the charades finger or the uh, the nose tap thing. And they both start laughing. And the guy's like, ah, you know, I, I got a place I can point you to later. He's like, don't worry about it. And so it is easy to bribe a congressman. Apparently, yeah, seriously. I'm somehow not that surprised. What? You act like congressmen are in the back pockets of companies and <clears throat> organizations? Like, what? What do you think? You, do you think we're going to go down that route? You think I'm going to talk about how the oil company makes it so we can't have better cars or how the NRA funds our politicians? You, you think we're going to go there, Craig? You think it's going to go? You think we're going to be talking about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that think, doesn't happen. No, no, no. no, no I guess no, you're right. No, 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 yeah, that's that's. It's better not to talk about that. So Lisa comes in, and it's a good photo op for Bob Arnold, who you know plays in the sticks, and you know he always gets reelected or whatever. And I love the fact that he's like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, are you going to be a politician someday too? He's like, you know, we have many like women senators. And Lisa's like, there are two I checked, and he's like, <laughs> clever. So for the record, Sean, if there were two, and I didn't fact check that for 1991, but I'll take their word for it. If there were two in 1991, do you know how many there are now? I know we have the largest amount, but I don't know the current number. Largest we've ever had, I'm sure. Uh, 25 out of 100 senators. So, you know, I mean, a quarter of them are women, but that's a lot better than just two out of 100. So, let me get this straight. Mm -hmm. So, women make up 50% of the population. Uh-huh. It's statistically, it's actually a little higher than that. It's like uh, yeah, fifty-one like point yeah. six, I think, Something is what like it that. is. Well, we'll say any. We'll say somewhere around half. We will say half. Mm-hmm. So, out of a group of a hundred people, uh-huh. that should be closer to fifty. I mean, you would think it'd be fifty-one or fifty-two, somewhere in that range. Sure, right? Yeah, yeah. twenty-five. Yep, twenty-five. Yep. Not getting political in this episode. Holding back. Not not gonna go on a rant. But you know what? Twenty five percent is better than two percent. Yeah, it is. Because you got to think any any amount of senator is it's it's out of a hundred, so it's a per easy percentage. So it it was two percent before back in the early nineties. Two percent. God, two percent is so low. It's like when you go for those one in one twenty eight items in Earthbound. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> It's pretty low odds, yeah, or low, uh, low rate. Uh, so, you know, you, you, the, it cuts to, there's a kind of a cutaway, and it shows the paper coming out, you know, of Bob Arnold. And uh, Barney tells Moe that if he ever votes, it'll be for him. Weird that Barney doesn't vote. Is it that weird? It is weird, because Barney comes from a military family. That's true. That, that tends to, but then again, he's also an alcoholic. That's true. Not not to say that, you know, alcoholics won't vote or whatever, but, like, I feel like, you know, maybe he has other things going on while the voting is happening. Mayhaps. Maybe they don't allow him because he's too intoxicated. <laughs> that could be. Or maybe he's not registered to vote because he keeps forgetting because he drinks a lot. Who knows? Uh, so the next, uh, you know, the as the next day comes on and the, you know, uh, this essay contest is going to happen... Lisa can't sleep, so she wants to go to the Winifred Beecher Howe Memorial, which apparently is where Bob Arnold is going to meet this, you know, uh, uh, guy. Who is not a real person. She's not, and I have a, a very, very big beef with this. It's one thing, you know, to, to, you know, make something up in The Simpsons. That's fine, whatever, it's a cartoon. But a few episodes before, in the uh, Bart versus Thanksgiving episode, Lisa makes mention of three women like activists who really pushed the, you know, uh, for feminism. They were real people. So I will give positive note on The Simpsons for this because mm-hmm. she is in reference to multiple people who did run very pro women things. Uh-huh. Because um, Howe and Beecher are two separate people who they combine find into one oh, person. Oh, okay. So, so, I mean, at least they're making sort of vague references to some of these people, but, like, it wouldn't, and I guess... Two percent's better than none, Craig. (laughs) I mean, I guess. 
But uh, it's just weird to me that The Simpsons, who's usually pretty accurate with a lot of this stuff, decided to just make something up. But then again, they they needed a memorial, and I guess there's not one of any women, you know, like feminists or whatever, you know, in Washington, D.C. So I, I guess that's kind of where the, the writers sort of had their hands tied at. Yeah, I wonder why that is. <laughs> oh, boy. So... Uh, so this guy, Jerry, who's a part of this like, logging company or whatever, bribes Bob Arnold and Lisa I love the bribing scene. You mean when he's like, well, let me put it this way, uh, Jerry, because he closes the briefcase. He's like, Timber! <laughs> closes it and they start laughing. And man, like they, they, you really, really hate Bob Arnold in the scene because not only does he is he going to have a forest cut down for his own profit, but he also looks up at this like you know feminist memorial and he's like, "What a pooch, woof woof!" And they both start barking, laughing, and running away. And it's like, man, they do a good job of making you hate Bob Arnold. Oh yeah, they make him a piece of shit. And Lisa is <laughs> devastated. She is. Lisa cries and rips up her essay because she has no faith. She just watched her own senator take a bribe. So I'm gonna throw. My Simpsons tinfoil hat on for a second. Okay. I think this episode happens early in the Simpsons timeline. You think so? I think this is the moment that breaks Lisa and makes her grow up to be the person that she is. She becomes very pro-ending apartheid, things like that. Uh-huh. I think Lisa's whole like side comes from this. I think this is the big moment that pushes her into her activism. Now, she, I will she say... She was previously a little bit activist, and... She did, in this episode, have the End Apartheid yes. poster already. Uh, now, I, I can see where you're coming from on this, because, you know, let's face it, she is more... She's more outspoken at this than she ever was. Mm-hmm. She definitely is moving forward. And maybe it's it's either because the writers decided, you know, like, oh, this is these are good gags that work, or this we can we can sort of use her as a mouthpiece for us you know, for our more progressive leanings or whatever. Or, I mean, maybe you're right. In the in the Simpsons canon, so to speak, if you're going to rearrange all the epi- episodes, this is probably an earlier one. At least that's my theory. No, I, I'd buy that. Tinfoil hat off. Continue on with the episode. I'll definitely buy that. So, uh, you have Lisa is is, you know... Frustrated, she goes to the Abraham Lincoln Memorial, but it's too busy. She goes to the Thomas Jefferson Memorial, but it's not busy, but he's too whiny about how the so, Lincoln Memorial was busy. That's why he, she came to him. So this episode, and this is in reference to the movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, starring Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Which is basically the similar plot to this, where Jimmy Stewart's trying to save his town. I did like that senator. movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. one of Jimmy it. Stewart's best Vertigo being his absolute best. <laughs> all right, all right. I'd any, buy that. Any It's a Wonderful Life fan can go to hell. Vertigo is far better. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a huge uh, It's a Wonderful Life fan. It's it's decent. I like It's a Wonderful Life. It's my mother's favorite movie, but you can all go to hell. Vertigo is where it's at. Rear window is better. Go to hell, Sean's mom. Yeah, go to hell, mom. <laughs> it's going to be real sad when she listens to this and she tells me, like, no, go to hell, Sean. Gave birth to you. I'll take you out. That if, that's a statement I've heard a million times. <laughs> so Lisa's looking at all these politicians and she imagines them turning into like fat cats and pigs that are gorging themselves on money and like wiping uh, uh, wiping their mouths with like a flag. And Lisa decides that she has to tell everyone what happened. I am so glad this episode happened and changed politicians from being corrupt pieces of shit. <laughs> oh. Oh. 1991 saved politics in America. They never got bad. Uh, Everything is perfect. Uh, anyway, so did I mention that Bart gets a massage in the hotel and it's all expenses paid and Homer joins him and it's kind of funny? <laughs> and Homer has a cigar? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, anyway. Is a cigar a hotel expense? Um, I'm sure he had to pay that himself. I mean, I would have. Yeah, I, 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 I would presume. So, there's a musician who plays the deficit rag, who Bart says is terrible, and Marge is like, yeah, we know, honey, just, you know, calm down, you know, stop fidgeting. The deficit rag gets stuck in my head. <laughs> deficit <laughs> rag. It, it reminds me of Michigan J. Frog, who was a ragtime singer on Looney Tunes. It kind of does. I don't mind this guy sing, uh songs. Uh, so, the judges for this essay 
are uh, actually uh, one of them is a character that I made mention of in the previous episode. Uh, former Redskin great Alonzo Flowers. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Two episodes ago. Blood Feud. Yeah, it was in Blood Feud. Blood Feud two episodes ago. Uh, uh, former Redskins great Alonzo Flowers, who's not real. Perennial third-party candidate Wilson Defarge. Uh, Senate page Brad Fletcher. Where's my favorite? Bring my favorite out. Skincare consultant Rowena, who doesn't have a last name for some reason. And wealthy get about Chilton Gaines, who like winks at the the woman doing the uh, uh, the introduction, who I think was the uh, woman we pretty sure it was the woman we saw earlier, Faith Crowley. So Craig and I do a lot of role playing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, tabletop gaming, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, for example, Noobs and Dragons. How have neither of us used the name Chilton? That is such a great fucking name. I can tell you this, uh, the next uh, gadabout that I create for any of our tabletop games, he's going to be Chilton Gaines. Chilton Gaines is such a good name, and he's so good. <laughs> I love him. He's so... this cocky piece of shit, and this is the only <laughs> scene we get him in. Wealthy gadabout. Why is that his... I don't know, whatever. And so the door swings open when they can't find Lisa, and Lisa stomps into the room. And, you know, she goes to Faith Crowley and she's like, I have a different essay, if I may. And Faith is caught off guard and is just like, okay. She steps off and Lisa says that Washington was, uh, Washington, D.C. was built on a stagnant swamps, you know, however long ago. And she says, it stunk then and it stinks now. And only now it's like the, the fetid smell of corruption. And everyone starts freaking out and Bart's like, hey, yeah, this is my kind of <laughs> this is my kind of thing. And yeah, Lisa, drain that swamp. <laughs> and so Lisa mentions in her speech about how, you know, the honorable Bob Arnold took a bribe and how like this country's like just like just corrupt and disgusting. And people boo her. They boo a little girl, and so the one of my favorite parts of the episode is the uh, the Senate page. Brad Fletcher is horrified, jumps up, runs to a payphone, calls up a, a presumably like a, a higher up senator. In fact, I think it's the uh, the same lawyer who tried to take down Krusty, and Krusty gets busted. I believe it is. I believe it's the same one who shows up in. Um he shows up in another political scene later on in the episode series, and I don't remember where it is. Uh, he's in a, uh, a he, he, oh, It's in um, Bart's Comet. It's in the um, the bill to pass for Springfield <laughs> to, um, yeah. to be saved. So does that mean that this lawyer went from being a lawyer in Springfield to being a higher, uh, pretty high political figure? Yeah. Must be. Hmm. Uh, and so... You know this this uh, uh, you know Brad Fletcher runs on the phone and he's like he's like sir sir there's something you gotta know and he's like he's like son I'm very busy right now and he's like a little girl is losing faith in democracy and he goes good lord and it immediately cuts to a scene of I uh, I. Uh, the uh, the Bob Arnold's office and this like Texan style guy is like, well, we want to drill for oil in uh, Teddy Roosevelt's head. And uh, he's like, well, and he pops open a briefcase to show money. He's like, Teddy, who? And he's like, you're under arrest. And his voice, his uh, 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 accent drops. And it turns out it's the FBI doing a sting. And one of his like coworkers is like, you do good work. And he's like, I work for Uncle Sam. And it cuts through all this stuff going on of them, like, expelling Bob Arnold. And, you know, uh, and so it cuts to this bill that is uh, George Bush at this desk. And he has this, like, dignitary, uh, presumably from, like, Africa maybe or something. He's, like, in kind of, like, the, the long robe. Uh, he's black. You know, we, we don't really know much about this uh, guy. But, uh, you know, George Bush uh, is, like... This should make my bosses very happy. And he's like, your bosses? And he's like, yep, all 250 million of them. And it's funny that... I was going to bring this up. I'm so glad you're bringing it up, too. The Simpsons are bad-mouthed by Bush. Is this, like, them trying to, like... Like, try to, like, make... Like, save face? No, because that didn't happen till later on. They aren't badmouthed yet by Bush. So why the because hell? When they reran the Michael Jackson episode, they changed the opening credits to be um, in reference to that whole scenario with Bush. 
So that happens post this episode. It wasn't like in a week. So yes, why the hell was Bush so anti-Simpsons when this scene makes him look so great? It does. It makes America look great. It's very, very fiercely patriotic. It's super fiercely patriotic, and it's awesome. It Bush is. Bush looks great in this scene. He does. It's a really interesting kind of thing to keep in mind. Uh, that line, all 250 million of them, is awesome. It is like, really cool. That is chills right there for that line because it is so good. And so, uh, you know, it comes back to the, the you know, this essay contest. And uh, I think the kid's name is Tram. He's, uh, uh, you know, this Asian kid. Uh, and he talks about how, you know, he came to America. And he's like, where else but in America or possibly Canada <laughs> could he have all this opportunity? Because his family owns, like, this business line now and they're doing well for themselves. And, uh, you know, they they do the uh, – they, they take a brief recess. And they go outside. And somehow they've sped up the expulsion of Bob Arnold, got him into jail, and there's a newspaper that Homer gets that says that he's now a born-again Christian. Christian. And Lisa says the system works. It cuts back to the inside, and they they go through all the speeches, and it's like cesspool on the Potomac is uh, Lisa's. And Bart is like, cesspool, cesspool, cesspool. And Lisa loses. Tram's... Uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's like America A-OK or something like yeah, that. Yeah, America A-OK is the one that wins. Uh-huh. And so, you know, he he takes the check and he, the giant oversized novelty check, and he says, you know, I want to, he shouts out Lisa for, you know, saying that the, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And Homer yells out, give her the check. And everyone laughs. And he's like, I was serious. At the end of the episode... The rags time singer comes out again, sings about Lisa, and Bart has had enough, pulls out his slingshot, hits the guy in the head. We presume he is knocked out as we hear the piano make like a loud, sharp sound of him heading hitting his head on it. And when Bart or when Lisa yells at him, he says, Lise, you taught me to stand up for what I believe in. And the episode ends. Kind of a weird ending. Kind of weird, episode. but I really like this episode. You you do like it? I like it a lot. I'm glad. You, you At the start of the episode, you were a little iffy it, on the episode. It, it, it's a really good episode, but here's the thing about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a good Simpsons episode. It is very season two. It's very season two. It feels like a good episode, but not a good Simpsons episode, which we'll start to see as we get further into season three. That's where the Simpsons sits its stride. We're about to get into the great territory. That is true. Season three is really when people say that the Simpsons became the Simpsons. I would still argue that there are plenty of good episodes earlier. And in uh, Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington, to me, is a, a uh, an episode I really enjoy. But I will say that it does not feel like a lot of the other season three episodes. But you mentioned in, a, I think, a previous episode that originally Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington was supposed to be uh, in season two, right? Yeah. Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington was supposed to be in season two along with um, the Michael Jackson episode. But because of time constraints, they got pushed over to season three as holdovers. I gotcha. Season two and three have kind of a weird thing where with Blood Feud, I don't know if you caught when we were mentioning when it aired, but it aired in July, in the middle of summer, in between when seasons would happen. Oh, you're right. Fox had a weird thing where they were doing like previews of new shows and shows you should be watching. And mm-hmm. they showed things in the middle of summer to try and gain viewership. Oh. Did not work. They actually <laughs> got very low ratings for these episodes because people are doing things in summer. So they decided not to uh, continue that practice. But that's why some episodes got pushed back and some had issues. Hmm. This feels like a season two episode because it is. Yeah. There's a couple of them in season three that feel kind of like season two episodes. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring that up again when we get to them. Because oh, I can sure. think of in my head one that really feels that way. And I don't know if you feel that way about it. It'll be I'm interesting to look that one. curious to hear that. So, Sean, what do you think the lasting impact is? Because to me, the lasting impact of this episode is that I think this is the first really political episode. Oh, yeah. that, that's the lasting impact right there. This is the first political episode. America got great, never had these problems again, and everything was fine. And there were no problems politically, and everybody was fine. Politicians weren't corrupt. They weren't in the lobbies of people who would give them lots of money. 
So, Craig, what's your favorite uh, favorite quote from this episode? Because, uh... oh, uh, Sean, this might be both our favorite quotes. Uh, is yours the George Bush line? No. Oh, I wh- love the George Bush line, but I've, I've been joking about a quote. So, oh, by all means, what is your favorite uh, uh, quote of the episode? So, we never really got into the other competitors in Lisa's contest. <laughs> yeah, we we glossed over that part. And there's one from like who's kind of got like a Jersey accent, and he reads a poem. Uh huh. Ding dong, the sounds of the Liberty Bell. Ding, freedom. Dong, opportunity. Ding, excellent schools. Dong, quality hospitals. <laughs> I love that so much. That's my favorite of all of these speeches. And obviously he didn't win because he's not carried over. <laughs> right, he did not win. Uh, but uh, that's a great line. I, I got to give it to the George Bush part. The George Bush one is probably the better line. <laughs> yeah, the this should make my bosses very happy. Your bosses? Yep, all 250 million of them. 